passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around. Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Way take the mic. Hello everybody, welcome to Rewind a Raw with John Pollock and Wei Ting as we start off an incredibly packed week at post wrestling that all leads up to post podcast day this Saturday. This is the go home edition of Rewind a Raw, Mr. Ting. I thought we could maybe play some charades tonight. Maybe a little Pictionary to go through the different hosts that will be there on Saturday. Really ramp up interest. You know, I forgot what I was going to say, so uh, bye. <laughs> Just going to leave. Maybe we'll announce uh, an unexpected appearance by King Corbin. Um, maybe. You know, you know what would get a ton of interest? If I went into the post-wrestling locker room. And I just insulted every single show that we have on our network and then turn around and say, tune in on Saturday. Wouldn't that be cool? Um, I, what? Anyway, how are you? What, what's that in reference to? What are you talking the about? The locker room scene tonight. Oh, well, I mean, to be fair, everybody in there was a 24-7 geek, right? Who Braun Strowman was in there. Riddle was in there. Right. Yeah, well, Riddle is very close to being a 24-7 geek. He really is just... I mean, he is being booked basically like R-Truth right now. Except he occasionally wins. That was an unbelievable scene. Uh, we will get there. Um, okay, so my full disclosure. Okay, this was, this was my last uh, 24 hours. I went to sleep at around 1 a.m. I should, I should really put that in air quotes because... Uh, I attempted to go to sleep at 1 a.m. I actually went to sleep at closer to 5 a.m. this morning uh, because I have a, a four-month-old that has decided I'm not going to sleep during those hours. So that was that was a very lengthy evening slash morning. And I woke up this morning uh, to start work. Uh, I am <laughs> exhausted by now. I went out for my pre-raw coffee way, because there was just no way. I walked all the way to one Tim Hortons 
which was closed, closed at just before eight o'clock. So I looked at the prospect of, do I just uh, throw in the towel and try and go through this raw without some caffeine? No, I walked to the next Tim Hortons because there was no way. There was just no way on tonight that I was going to make it through here. So I am here, but if I, uh, if there is any long silence, it means I have fallen into, uh, it'll be my sleep just kicking in. You'll just have to finish the show. That's no problem, John. Uh, we are here. All the postmarks in the Zoom chat are here. So uh, we have a number of people who could fill in for either one of us, should one of us spontaneously just fall asleep in the middle of this podcast. But I don't think that would be a problem. Um, so, so, so you didn't get a, get a chance to catch a nap before? I got in uh, 20 minutes at around 5.30. And that, that was like a bit of a spark. But that, that okay. is it. It, it was, uh, I've gone through waves uh, today. It's just been a, a lengthy day. Yeah, yeah, I'll bet. So uh, I, I don't know I, how you did it all those years, going to sleep me? at like weird, weird hours and stuff like that. I just I can't adjust. Well, I don't have a kid to ca- take care of. It's it, it's a very different story. But um, I I don't know. I do wonder. You know, if I was in your situation, like, would I be able to just f- you know flip on a dime and um see see how my schedule? I I feel like I'd probably feel the same as you. So coffee is definitely a must. Thank you for being a trooper and being here. Well, we have a we have a big week to come. Uh, I want to go over uh, what is happening Saturday. Uh, so, some quick notes before Saturday is that Tuesday we'll have our new Rewind Away covering the Brian Pillman DVD that WWE put out in 2006. We're also going to have the return of Dr. Alex Patel on Thursday. Definitely very timely to have him back uh, after several months since we last spoke um, and, and going into WrestleMania week. I think there's a lot of questions from a... Uh, a wrestling slash MMA side, but also just in general as well. So his his interviews have always been very well received on this site. So I look forward to catching up with uh, Dr. Patel this Thursday. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while. And uh, certainly a lot has developed uh, with COVID and vaccinations. And I think uh, maybe a lot of confusing information that's really out there for people too. So having Alex uh, on to really clarify a lot of things, even just for me personally, will be very helpful. Uh, I probably will start a thread up in the forum. Just, you know, people have questions to ask. So forum.postwrestling.com for that. So the big uh, event going down this Saturday for us, it is post podcast day. We are going to be live beginning at noon Eastern, and we are going to have six live shows airing uh, throughout that afternoon through six o'clock Eastern time. So for all post wrestling cafe members, you will have access. Um, and of course it's a new month beginning Thursday. So if you are looking to sign up, uh, wait, wait till Thursday, if you're not already a member, because you, you will be billed as soon as you sign up or come on, just sign up, go, go for it. I mean, just Hey, there's lots of stuff to enjoy in these last couple of days. And, um, yeah, it's go go knock yourself out if you so if you are so inclined. It's a great bargain. Uh, but Saturday we will be kicking things off with Braden Harrington and Davey Portman. They are going to set the bar. They are going to come out and have an electric opener. And this was per the request of Davey Portman. He said, "John, I want to start this thing off, and I'm going to be Batista at WrestleMania 23, coming to the back and saying, follow that.'" So. <laughs> Big, big opportunity here for Davey and Braden to just leave everyone else in, in their in their tracks. So they will be kicking things off at noon. And then following that, 
Well, hold on, John. They're starting off with a show called Worst WrestleMania Matches Ever. So uh, we know how people like their worst ofs. And I really do think that might be a tough act to follow for everybody. But I definitely think Brit, uh, Barton and Benno are going to uh, have some tricks up their sleeve. That's right, because they've got the heavy artillery coming in with the history of WCW in Europe with Gary Michael Capetta. And, I mean, when you say WCW early 90s, there's probably several images that come to mind. But when it comes to a voice, I mean, with all due respect to any announcers, Gary Michael Capetta is pretty synonymous with that product to me in the early 90s. So I very much look forward to uh, that show with Martin and Benno. Uh, bringing on Gary Michael Capetta to chat about WCW's uh, trips overseas, which uh, sometimes resulted in some very violent fights in, in the case of Arn Anderson and Sid Vicious. That, oh, wow. I, I wonder how much will be of that will be covered, but certainly an interesting time period that I don't hear discussed that, that much. So I look forward to what they have to say with Gary Michael Capetta. Then at two o'clock Eastern, the Nubian wrestling advocates will assemble. Nate Milton, Andrew Thompson, Chris from L.A., and Marcus Vanderberg will also be on. This should be a fantastic show uh, with these four, four of my favorite people to hear uh, discuss. So that will be at 2 Eastern time. Then at 3, we've got a live edition of Turned Out a Punk with our good friend Damian Abraham and his guest, Tim, Tim Toolman Tool from, from A Tribe Called Red. Yeah, uh, I, I, you know, you'll have uh, met Tim for wrestling fans on one of the episodes of The Wrestlers. And uh, Tim is a very accomplished musician and somebody who is a big wrestling fan that often, uh, talk, you know, uh, talks about this type of stuff with Damien. So I look forward to hearing what these two have to say in regards to their fandom with professional wrestling and maybe how it all ties into punk. And then we will uh, be going to you and I with a live edition of Ask Away at four o'clock. And then it wraps up at 5 with a live Q&A with ESPN's Ariel Helwani. And that is post-podcast day, Saturday at noon. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like um, we'll do definitely do our best to stick to these times, but I can imagine things to be, to being a little bit loose. So uh, I would encourage everybody to just, you know, that if you're a patron, log in and just kind of enjoy the ride, see what happens. I'm sure some of these shows will have space for... Uh, uh, calls and interaction with fellow listeners on the in the chat room. So you can get all of this information at postwrestling.com slash podcast day or simply sign up at postwrestlingcafe.com. Uh, so there you go. Uh, we will give people reminders uh, throughout the week about this coming up on Saturday. But all of this can be found at postwrestling.com, as Way mentioned, postwrestling.com slash podcast day for all that information. We've also got uh, a big guide to WrestleMania week that is up there on the tabs. If you want to follow along all the shows that are happening next week in and around Tampa uh, with up to date match listings and shows uh, between WWE, Game Changer, IWTV, everything that is going on WrestleMania week. Uh, next week and we will be extremely busy next week as well with uh, probably shows every day uh, next week so it's going to be a very busy couple of weeks here at post wrestling but we'll move over to some of the news items uh, before we get to raw and i guess the big thing tonight was that uh, andrade did his first interview since leaving wwe this was uh, done with hugo savinovich and uh so I guess the major uh, topic that came out of this was Andrade explaining that Charlotte Flair was taken off of WrestleMania when there was a company doctor 
that had thought she was pregnant and Andrade explaining that um, they were not pleased with, uh, I guess, how the information was was relayed and how it was uh, conducted. And then it turned out they got their own testing and she was not pregnant. Now, to follow up on that, uh, a representative from Charlotte Flair's team uh, issued a statement to Alex McCarthy at TalkSport. So I'm just going to read the statement. This is from Charlotte Flair's team. Uh, What Manny Andrade said about the pregnancy test in today's interview is true, but a significant amount of context is lost in translation, and we'd like to clear that up as best we can. A few weeks ago, Charlotte received a call from WWE Medical telling her that her HCG levels had come back high and she was medically suspended for pregnancy. That day, she took several home tests that all came back negative. A few days later, blood work and ultrasound confirmed that there was no pregnancy. This was before any issues with COVID and noted that she is currently medically cleared. Uh, This put a lot in context for her, mainly how small a woman's career window is. The men are able to work well into their 50s, while the women are seen as older in their early 30s even. For an athlete in her prime, these years mean everything. Her issue is with the process and how the information was relayed as opposed to the information itself. So giving a bit of a clear picture. And I'm always a little hesitant sometimes with interviews in a a foreign language that I do not speak because sometimes you do, uh, things do get um, mistranslated or certain nuance is when you're not hearing it for yourself. And um, again, Andrade, it sounds like, uh, didn't exactly convey this uh, in this level of detail um, that Charlotte's team did. But I guess that would give everyone a pretty clear view of why uh, Charlotte has been uh, off television for a period of time, why her image was off the poster. And I, I think probably a lot of hiccups along the way when you factor in uh, Lacey Evans and what happened to that story with her pregnancy. And then you had the COVID as well that Charlotte had and that Andrade noted in this interview tonight, uh, he had also gotten COVID around the same time. This story really just kind of, you know, it gets, it keeps getting glares added to it seemingly with what surrounding Charlotte's somewhat mysterious absence over the past several months. Um, there was a report out today too, that she was backstage. And of course they are taping, two shows that's right they're taping they're taping raw tomorrow so it's it's very possible like it said in the statement she's cleared that she could be you know it's it's just an angle away from being inserted into wrestlemania and they have that time this week to to do that whether it would be at the raw tapings tomorrow you've also you're you're doing two smackdowns this week as well to cover next week's as well so there is that option uh for her yeah, but I mean, you know, between Andrade that now this kind of uh, misdiagnosed pregnancy and also COVID, it it really does feel like it's been quite a whirlwind of a month for the two of them. And the way things are, I have to imagine they're still at a bit of a strained, you know, uh, status between Charlotte and maybe the company, or maybe they patched things up. You know, we we don't really know. But this, I haven't really dug into the notes for this um, interview yet, but it definitely sounds like um. Uh, not much was kind of kept away from, from Andrade here. No, it definitely seems that, um, you know, whatever were the conditions of his release, it didn't seem like there was any restrictions on him going out and speaking publicly. Uh, I would encourage people to look at the, uh, the translations, uh, Carlos Toro over at Fightful, uh, translated a lot of the answers, uh, Lucha blog on Twitter, Microman Fever, if you want to go and see their uh, translations of some of his answers. But some of the uh, subjects that came up from Andrade, at least from uh, some of these accounts, was that he had been cleared back in November 
But he stated that Vince McMahon and Triple H were unaware that he had been cleared until three months had gone by that I I can't even fathom that. Hmm. Who knows? Um, uh, he mentioned the COVID. I mean, he touched on a lot of subjects here. Um, so anyway, I, I would definitely uh, direct people to some of those accounts, uh, especially for people that speak the language and have translated some of the answers. But the big thing was uh, Charlotte and with Charlotte's team responding almost immediately after it was out there. Um, so we will see if he does more interviews as well, but it seems that uh, it, it doesn't appear that he is going to be shy about talking about his time in WWE. Um, some news over the weekend is that road dog, Brian James uh, was hospitalized. Um, this would have been late Thursday night. His wife, Tracy uh, posted an update stating that it's believed that he suffered a heart attack late Thursday. This would be coming back from Orlando from NXT on Wednesday and ended up having a stress test with a kidney specialist and his kidneys came back clear and he was set to go under uh, under a heart test on Monday, the results of which are unknown. So we're certainly hoping for a full recovery for Road Dog. That's uh, certainly unfortunate uh, uh, news that was passed along over the weekend. And that's kind of the only update we, uh, we have heard thus far. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you never want to hear stories like this, but especially with somebody so young. So, yeah, we're, we hope for a full recovery. Um, other news and notes, Eric Young revealed that he has a full torn ACL. This happened at the last set of tapings for Impact. And this was kind of strange. He he suffered the, the ACL tear in a match with James Storm that's going to be airing on Tuesday night. And wasn't aware of the damage he had done. He ended up working an eight man and then a singles match with Eddie Edwards and then learned of a complete tear. This was not a partial tear. And he's stating that he's hopeful of being back in six months. It's typically a six to nine month recovery time for a torn ACL. Um, he's 41. That's obviously it's, it's a setback. He's been doing very good work in impact uh, with his current incarnation. And what's amazing is that he has been wrestling almost 23 years and he noted in this interview with uh the wrestling perspectives podcast this is his first major injury in his career and th that's unbelievable like th this was not a guy like this guy worked a very physical style i'm i'm amazed that he has not suffered like this significant of an injury in that you know 20 plus year career he's had i was surprised to hear he was only 41 because he has been around for he a He started long very time. young, like right, uh, you know, uh, up here. I remember seeing him at a University of Toronto uh, indie show back in 2003. That would have been the first time I saw him live. But he broke in in 98. So already by that point, he was five years in and then got the break in, I think it was like late, mid-04 with Team Canada in TNA. That was the big break for him. Wow. Well, yeah, it's um, it's a long time, and uh, you know, pretty good if you've lasted that long without a major operation like that. Rob Van Dam was confirmed for the Hall of Fame. This had been reported last week by Fightful, and uh, he did an interview with Fox Sports today, confirming that he would be going in. So, I mean, we've got the um, the tandem of RVD and Kane together once again for the Hall of Fame. That that is a very kind of a lesser remembered team, I would say, but sure. I feel like Kane's have been tag teams with everybody. He kind of has had his run with just about everyone at different points in, in time in his uh, history. But yes, Rob Van Dam will uh, be there. They're taping this Tuesday and Thursday. They're doing the uh, the Hall of Fame tapings this week. 
SmackDown on Friday, um, they were slightly up in viewers, 2,191,000 viewers. Demo was identical to last week, uh, but they were number one on uh, of all the network programs Friday night in male or in adults, 18 to 34. So that's a uh, something to hang their hat on for the show that came out of Fastlane. And uh, one other note here is that um, Blade Braxton, who I'm sure listeners have heard of, he was a uh, you know, long time uh, affiliated with, with the WrestleCrap site with R.D. Reynolds, uh, passed away, um, I believe, over the weekend. Uh, R.D. Reynolds noted this. I don't have any more details about this, um, but uh, WrestleCrap was, I mean, it, it's one thing to look at the bizarre nature of professional wrestling, but I always found that WrestleCrap had this thing down to an art form of how they would uh, just focus on some of the dumbest stuff in pro wrestling history. Um, I believe you and I actually got to meet Blade really briefly at StarCast a few weeks, uh, a few years back where we had our booth set up right near theirs and we met they the had the, the Katie Vick doll. Yeah, we met the two of them at the same time. We finally got to meet Katie Vick and they were gracious enough to let us take a photo with <laughs> yeah. Katie Vick herself. Uh, yeah, I was really sad to hear this again. Number one, because it's 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 an unbelievably young person mm-hmm. uh, who who's no longer with us. But to me, like WrestleCrap, I mean, the term WrestleCrap now is an actual like phrase we all use to describe an element of pro wrestling that we love to hate, and that's when things are really bad. Um, they are often so entertainingly bad. Uh, in in ways that you know you don't often get in, in some other art forms, and um, what those two, what they built with that site, um, they uh, to me are, are like the most responsible for you know maybe much of even like what we do, John. You know when we review a really bad show and kind of you know taking pleasure in someone like the 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 most ridiculous aspects of pro wrestling. So um, yeah, it was really sad news to hear. So we our, our condolences to uh, Blades friends and family. Absolutely. Uh, and we'll, we'll just uh, end off just uh, looking at Wednesday. Uh, so AEW has added a match between John Moxley and uh, Cesar Bononi. Uh, that joins uh, the lineup that includes the the Arcade Anarchy, Christian and Frankie Kazarian, uh, Cody and QT in the Exhibition, Omega and the Good Brothers against Lucha Brothers and Laredo Kid, Hikaru Shida and Ty Conti against Nyla Rose and The Bunny. And then NXT has Roderick Strong against Cameron Grimes, the battle royal for the uh, to set up the six people in the gauntlet for the first night of TakeOver, and the main event of either show, Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter come face-to-face with Tien Sha. All right. Awesome. Cool. They will come face-to-face. This is a face-to-face I'm, I'm excited about on Wednesday. Um... Yeah, it's about time. I, I mean, no Tiansha uh, takeover announcement yet, but we shall still see. got time. Still got time. Mm-hmm. Okay, check out all of the news. Uh, Andrew Thompson is writing up a storm there at postwrestling.com. And we'll move on to Raw. We've got uh, two, two Raws to go until WrestleMania. And a lot of tonight's show was centered around Drew McIntyre and who was going to try and take him out. From the Raw locker room. Lashley has placed a bounty on him where anyone to take out Drew gets the title match at WrestleMania. So a lot of different ways you could have uh, inserted yourself into a major title match at WrestleMania this year. You could just uh, put off your debut and then show up and challenge Asuka. You could um, stage a sit-in in the middle of a ring. You could just attack the guy and therefore his his title shot 
you absorb that ability by pinning him. When you have a lot of titles and a lot of t- uh, time to fill on your TV, you're probably going to get a lot of ways that you can enter into a title match. So Drew says he questions if Lashley will even be true to his word about that title shot being granted, and whoever comes after him tonight will get an ass kicking. And the man wasn't lying. The Hurt Business come out. They were, I mean, they're usually, uh, we, we've got some, you know, Lashley in particular is standing out with his attire, but everyone here was decked out to the nines. You knew that they, sadly, these four were dressed for a funeral because this was the end of the Hurt Business as we know it. All four of them are in the ring. They recap Drew's win over Alexander and Benjamin last week, and Lashley is upset calling it an embarrassment. His image is being tarnished. Can't count on these two for anything. Cedric wishes that they had talked about this privately, and Benjamin gets furious that you would not be champion without us, shoves MVP away, and then him and Lashley get into it, and Lashley ends up with a flatliner, and he confirms the Hurt Business is over. The problem way is that the Hurt Business was over, and I definitely question this act coming to an end. Because I don't think that this is going to be one of those where it's, oh, they're all in cahoots. Because the whole, all of WrestleMania has been built around. These guys are banned from ringside. So this this kind of felt like the end of Cedric and Benjamin as part of this equation. With the physicality, I, I really felt like it was probably the end as well. And uh, I too was sorry to see it. I think they could have definitely gone far, farther with these four as a faction. And I'm certainly not all that confident about Shelton and Cedric's future without being a part of a stable like this. It felt like retribution last week where it's like the extra parts are you wonder what their future is going to be. And for, for Benjamin and Cedric, I would say they, they don't have the, the size of a T-bar and mace that you would at least figure uh, they might end up getting something. For Benjamin and, and Cedric, I I think it's tough when they're not attached to these guys anymore. Yeah, it's a bit difficult, but, you know, we wait and see. Maybe they have uh, further plans for Lashley as some sort of single star or maybe even as a baby face. That might not work as well with a stable like this, although you could have turned the stable space. But this was, I, I suppose, done for a reason. Um, I will say, though, on this episode, unlike previous weeks, I felt we had a very clear heel direction behind Bobby Lashley. Almost like a very a very black and white, you know, uh, status this week for baby faces and heels on the show. Yeah. He's no, um, Captain America replacement. Yeah. He's not John Walker. No. Yeah. Who's kind of just, uh, straddling that line. Mm-hmm. Riddle, who was at an all time new level of annoyance on this show. He is asked about the scooter attack from last week. And he concludes that maybe Seamus was having a bad day. Maybe he has a tummy ache, or maybe he just has no soul, which is a wide range of potential reasons. But now, Riddle's pissed off. When all of a sudden he sees Titus, he was no longer pissed off. He came over to Titus and asks if Titus wants to roast a pig in the ring at WrestleMania. He said, because you're holding a roast at WrestleMania so that Titus can say, no, I'm the co-host. Of WrestleMania. So bad. So, so bad. I mean, how do you even... Like, okay, whatever. Um, they talked... To, Riddle went on about food, and then the ultimate babyface. This was... Dude, this was Carrie Von Eric in 1984. 
storming in and Seamus tackled this guy right into the equipment. I don't know. Like, honestly, if they, if they had crowds, they would have erupted at this. This character is so unlikable that you're rooting for Seamus. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, by the time they, like, in the booking of the match, too, having him attack his opponents after losing, like, there's not, I don't know. Somebody likes him. I I mean, only one person needs to like him in order ha. for him to be pushed this way. A roast. Okay? It rhymes with host. Oh, man, these are just so, so bad. And um, he he is the new R-Truth, like, in terms of uh, how how he's being portrayed as a character. He's just supposed to be a really dumb, outrageous person, except Riddle occasionally will win. Benjamin and Alexander confronted Adam Pierce. They want a singles match between Benjamin and Lashley tonight, and then Cedric wants him next week, and... Pierce will confer with Lashley and they question Pierce's sack by having to go consult with Lashley. They told him, make the match. And one thing I took from this uh, was the fact that they were teasing uh, Cedric for next week. That was giving me hope that tonight I'm thinking, okay, they've got a tape raw tomorrow. So I would think at the very least, they've got like a strong outline of what raw is going to be next week that they could probably set a bunch of angles in place for next week. And by the end of the three hours, I guess we're getting Lashley and Cedric and maybe Corbin and Drew. But beyond that, I I didn't think we really uh, benefited from raw being taped on back to back days. I guess, you know, it, it, it should work out well, but at the same time, you have to remind yourself that this company now suddenly has to write 10 hours of TV, probably in a very limited amount of time. So oh, th- this um, week is insane. Like their taping schedule at Tropicana Field is nuts. When you figure this week, will they will do two nights of the Hall of Fame, two Raws, two Smackdowns. You've got NXT on Wednesday, and then you're going into the busiest week of the year. And so I don't, the quality of all those 10 hours plus may not be that strong. Riddle and Sheamus had a non-title match. And this is when all of a sudden MVP is on commentary in place of Samoa Joe, who they gave no explanation for his absence this week. But MVP was there for the whole show. Yeah, I wonder why. Uh, Riddle got out of a headlock and he was working for a rear naked choke. Uh, He eventually sent Sheamus to the floor and hit a floating bro. They went through the commercial and Riddle's getting beaten down, but then scales to the top with a belly to belly Uh, final flash Broton, then a triangle, but Sheamus gets to the rope and Sheamus hits a white noise on the edge of the apron. There's a bro kick setup that gets stopped with a flying knee from Riddle inside cradle for two, but then Sheamus kicks out, lands his own flying knee and pins Riddle in 12 minutes and 46 seconds. As Seamus is celebrating, Riddle knocks him off the turnbuckle and yells, you're going to get what's coming to you. And I guess this was, uh, it was like, what guy, guy pinned you like pretty clean. Uh, but then they did bring up the pre-match attack backstage, which I was hardly felt was egregious. Thought the guy was kind of attracting that karma into his life. No, he totally just came across like a sore loser to me, you know? Like, it, I felt this was a pretty clean win for Sheamus. I thought the match was pretty good. Um, they kind of took a bit of a different approach to their previous bouts and didn't get as thoroughly physical as their previous matches. But if they're going to do another match at Mania, uh, it would make sense that they would hold back a little bit here. 
it's hard for me to say that I'm excited at all for this feud, given um, Riddle's awful character and sort of a lack of interesting feud here. This is really just something you're slapping together between two kind of scraps on the roster who don't have other programs. So it'll probably be a decent undercard match, though. Yeah, I mean, they kind of gave you more than I thought. I thought this would be more of an angle, and um, but they gave you like a full match here, and then Sheamus won. I, I liked the match. I thought they had a, a, a very good match. Um, but at the end, I, I, just, I just felt Riddle was just... Um, I mean, partially this was also me uh, completely just uh, receiving the backstage attack as uh, not exactly a heel action by Sheamus, but Riddle's uh, jokes earning him that attack. But by the end of it, it was... Uh, so, still, though, it's like you got attacked, but you still agreed to the match. Okay. And was fine. Like, he wasn't yeah. selling the effects coming out. He was doing his usual dance. He was he was not yeah. selling the attack at all. He, Nor was it a like, story in the match. Like, he was weakened or anything. You know, if you had somehow, like, we're if we were about to, I don't know, play a game of tennis, and before the match, like, you maybe... Tackle you into a car? Well, not quite that serious, but, like, I don't know, you, like, um, stole... If you were telling, like, really racket, awful... Okay. Like, if you just took my favorite racket and, um, you know, I couldn't find my, my racket, um... I'll ha- I'll still <laughs> this is a terrible analogy. I'll still play I'll still play the match. And then if I, uh, to me if I agree to the match, then I don't really have that much of a right to complain. I certainly wouldn't attack you afterwards. I'm going to be like, "Damn, next time I'm going to steal your racket." But I wouldn't He just came across like a shitty person to me. Like if I, if before the tennis match, I was doing like some awful jokes to the the tennis viewers that, that were sitting around waiting for our match. And I was making a uh, pig roast versus guest host joke. And then you came and destroyed me. I would feel I would have that coming to me. And I think that a lot of the people waiting for our tennis match, they would be rooting for you in that situation. So that by the end of it, if I lose and then I still attack you afterwards, I mean, that to me is like, this audience is going to hate me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on. To to, to more uh, more uh, depth of characters, as represented by Shane McMahon, Elias, and Jackson Riker, who tonight, Shane McMahon will present an expose on Braun Strowman and said, we're going to find out some interesting things. McIntyre runs into AJ Styles and Omos, who are not going to go after and attack him tonight because AJ says we have bigger plans at WrestleMania than the world championship. We are going to embarrass the new day and we've got game night to prepare for tonight. So we can't be bothering ourselves with (laughs) headlining opportunities at WrestleMania. Shane Elias and Riker are in the ring and Shane explains his knee injury was real and that it was adrenaline that gave him enough pain relief temporarily to escape further injury at Fastlane. But then Shane has done some research into Braun's past and up comes his just beautifully image, a beautiful image, a beautiful PDF of his fifth grade report card where Braun got a D minus in social studies, a D minus in math, a D in English and a D plus in gym. And they read the comments 
about how he lacked problem-solving skills and held back a year or two. And I'm looking at the the text on the report card. It did not say held back a, that he should be held back a year or two. It said he should be held back a year. So when you're mocking someone and potential spelling comprehension, well, there was some reading comprehension issues here for Shane McMahon. Unless that was done on purpose to really give some depth to this, that this is an insecurity of Shane McMahon's who grew up rich, but this guy was not as smart as his father. Really not that thinking that deep about all this. Um, This was just a Photoshop gag. And the the reaction was, uh, you know, about a typical one I would give one of these WWE Photoshop gags. Then we saw, of course, way, uh, an oldie but a goodie, the Photoshop gag of Braun wearing a dunce cap that read, I'm not stupid. And Shane is working overtime to get this Braun over. I thought the segment was really weak. Um, just a, a lot of bad Photoshop stuff that <laughs> really was not funny. All for Shane to just be able to say Braun is dumb again. And, um, uh, I don't. I don't even want to give it any thought. Um, sorry, it doesn't deserve it. It's just how about how about where this segment uh, took a turn when Braun came out and said, "Well, I'm going to do an expose looking into your past, Jackson Riker." Uh, that would have been far more compelling. Yeah. Well, Braun and Jackson Riker had a match. Um, this was not good. Strowman did his Strowman Express with the sound effects. Uh, the WWE's answer to Snowpiercer is what Tom Phillips said. Uh, the highlight or low light of this match was Jackson Riker climbing to the top turnbuckle, jumping off and coming up way short on Braun. So this just looked like um, a guy stumbling around as he stumbled into Braun. Strowman won by hitting the power slam, warning Shane that this is his fate at WrestleMania. Two and a half minutes and then chased after Shane, jumped by Elias. So Shane and Elias are double-teaming Strowman, who powers them away, and then reminds Shane that he can pick any match he wants, and he's going to choose a steel cage match. Which I thought was kind of tamed by Shane McMahon mania standards. It's actually the dullest you can do with Shane if you're promising he's going to stay in this cage. The only way... The only thing people want to see is Shane escape this cage and jump off something high. Yeah, which he probably will will do. But, you know, the cage is not that tall. We've seen people jump off of cages. So maybe he'll have to go up from the cage onto the scaffolding and then jump off something higher. Uh, we've which, also... which begs the question why we're doing a steel cage that is being promoted for the reason that no one can get out of the cage. Well, who knows? Who knows what, what they have up their sleeves? Could be a cage um, on fire, maybe. I don't know. I also am re- remembering Shane McMahon in the Hell in a Cell match with Taker and just how bad that was before. Because, yeah, it was awful until they got out of there. and Because that's all people wanted. They just wanted the stunt. And it was a brutal match until the stunt. Yeah, you got like some faux MMA from Shane. You'll, oh. You know, now that he's trapped inside the cage, you're going to probably get plenty of those punches. So I have very low expectations for this. Oh, it's until they exit the cage, like the stuff inside the cage, it's not going to be good. The dirt sheet with Miz and Morrison. 
Miz explained he was teaching Bad Bunny a lesson when he hit him with the guitar, but Bad Bunny tried to injure him with his guitar shot. Morrison then tees up their new music video where they brought the hop back to hip hop. And here it is, the premiere of Hey Hey Hop Hop, which was <laughs> shot in Puerto Rico, a.k.a. the stage of the Thunderdome, 100 feet from them. And this was mixed with uh, B-roll of random crowds at concerts uh, and green screen utilization. <laughs> and Miz, at one point, rapping Hakuna Matata with Dos Piñatas. Uh, I don't care. I thought this was awesome. I love this. <laughs> Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, it was I thought stuff. this was really entertaining. I thought these guys were hilarious together. Um, I, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this quite a bit. All right. You didn't as much. That's okay. I thought it was fine. It was about what I expected. Miz was in tears after, expecting all of the awards that they're going to receive for this. And then Bad Bunny comes out with the returning Damian Priest. And they say that Miz won't be laughing when Bad Bunny handles him at WrestleMania. Bad Bunny... Cuts a promo on Miz and Damian Priest translates it to say, I'm going to make you my bitch. And with that, Miz walks up to Damian Priest who steps aside and Bad Bunny decks the Miz and Morrison holds off Miz telling him to wait for Mania. And then Bad Bunny and Damian Priest destroyed the, sh the set of the dirt sheet, including their poster, this cardboard poster they had. And it ended with, Morrison yelling, you signed your death warrant. The same line that Adam Cole used on Kyle O'Reilly. And somehow this took my mind to imagining Cole and O'Reilly doing uh, their version of Hey Hey Hop Hop. <laughs> yeah, very different tone of program between the two. Um, yeah, you know, everything about this, I think, is happening as it should. There's really nothing all that surprising or overly I don't know, special about it. It's it's just other than it angle. seems pretty set. It's going to be a singles match. We are not getting the tag. That seems pretty clear now. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, this is, um, to me, it's still very much just the novelty of seeing the celebrity do a wrestling angle. And I think uh, in that sense, it'll be fine. It'll be successful. Sure. We go to the back and we heard from Randy Orton. He lists all the legends he's faced from Hogan, Undertaker, Kane, Cena, Flair, but none quite compared to The Fiend. I chose to light and drop that match and watch The Fiend burn. No man could have survived that. But you see, The Fiend is not a man. He is sick and twisted. He is an abomination from hell. A description I would definitely assign to this story. Randy thought that Alexa's premonition of the fiend returning was just a game. But in fact, Alexa knew all along because she had the fiend's heartbeat in her palm. Dude, this is Randy Orton saying this. Now he knows what he's dealing with. And for the final time at WrestleMania, I will stand across the ring from a sick abomination. But me and this sick abomination are cut from the same cloth. And I will dig down deep. And who knows how far into hell I will need to go to sink the fiend out of his life once and for all. What? Mm. <laughs> 
wow. What lot, is this? What was said here? Yeah. Well, yeah, he um he's going to a dark place to murder a man. But he's not a man. He's an abomination from hell. So, how's he going to kill him? That's what I want to know. What what will kill him? Well, burning doesn't work. I I really don't know what else might. Well, he said you know? sink. So maybe he thinks water is the answer. Oh, drowning him? He's already Didn't Bron try that? Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't oh. think like most of the elements, I mean, wind, has that been tried? I know wind. a lot of people think that this angle blows, but I mean, that might be the next attempt here to get rid of the fiend. Like so he gets I caught up I, in a tornado. You know, is this going to be a cinematic match or a real match or a combination? He said, I'm going to stare at the fiend across the ring. That was his language. I can't fathom this being a match without a ton. Like this has to be like, what do you do at this point? I mean, like, you know, with this storyline, it has to be some sort of a pre-produced element attached to it. I imagine they will perhaps start off or end in the ring, but um, I'm actually quite curious to see. I I just and how the get... crowd reacts to that. If it ends on screen, how does that live crowd react to this? I think it'll be more likely that it ends in person. But mm. um, I'm I'm curious about the production of this more than anything, and I just kind of want to get through some of this awful, awful TV. Bobby Lashley and Shelton Benjamin, it was short. Uh, Lashley walked into a pay dirt after chasing off Cedric Alexander and then a pair of step-up knees, but Lashley responded with the spine buster, hit a second one, and the Hurt Lock submitted Benjamin in 416. So pretty pretty open and shut. And, I mean, Lashley should be booked this way going into WrestleMania, but I imagine we'll get a repeat of this next week with Cedric Alexander submitting as well. Yeah, yeah, he's he, he's looking very strong. AJ and Omos meet the New Day, and tonight is game night. And on this uh, on this board in the back, on the these pages, uh, were these messages written out by the New Day, including We Miss E and plugs for Up, Up, Down, Down, the New Day podcast, and Our Heroes Rock uh, that they worked in here. And AJ and Omos are down for game night. They are going to willingly participate in this. So we go to the game night set in the ring which is uh, covered with uh, various games, including Jenga, Karate Fighters, Uno, not Evil, and Connect Four. Awesome classics there. The best part of this segment was Omos and his shirt. Oh, yeah. A mauve shirt. Yes, which Xavier pointed out. They complimented him on this. So... (laughs) First, they did charades, and the idea here is that Kofi and Xavier Woods have incredible chemistry together, where they were successfully, within 15 seconds, able to guess uh, the first one, which was A Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton, which I found this uh, bizarre but amusing. And then Omos, they get The Lion King, and AJ trying to act out the Lion King. This was him channeling his Prince AJ days when he was the goof with Kurt Angle and Karen. I thought it was pretty funny trying to do a lion impression. Then they went on to Pictionary. The New Day got rocket ship immediately. And then AJ's word is the sun. 
and he draws like like there is nothing else you could guess but the sun. But Omos just stares and doesn't guess anything. So they lose yet again when Omos grabs the microphone and says, finally, enough with the games. All we need to do is win the match and we will show you both what we're capable of. And with that, AJ has this tantrum destroying the set as the New Day thinks he's still playing and they're guessing three-year-old as he has his meltdown in the ring. That was pretty funny. Uh, you know, it's interesting that they're putting all the focus on almost here as uh, the, the real attraction of this entire match. And it's he is being portrayed as the serious one in the team where AJ is just sort of the kind of goofball who's willing to, you know, uh, because he's so competitive, take part in these ridiculous games and be made fun of by the New Day, where uh, almost really has no time for it. So I think they're doing a very effective job of making me want to see Omos. Uh, before we got to our match between Styles and Woods, uh, we got uh, an Instagram video from this little kid, Ro, who is this giant Hulk Hogan fan. How old would you guess this kid would be? Eight? Something like that, yeah, sure. Maybe younger. Well, um, he legit... I thought delivered a better promo than a fair number of people on this roster. Did a good Hogan impression, yeah. Very strange to for uh like how does an eight year old get into Hulk Hogan? Like maybe that's the WWE network at work. That could be that. Could could be the parents. Could be I don't know. Who knows? How did you get into um a wrestler before your time? Uh when I was eight years old, I was not Cutting Bruno San Martino promos. <laughs> Styles and Woods um, Woods set up the commercial break with a Topicon hero. Styles came back. Ushiguroshi. The Styles clash is avoided, and Woods hit a tornado DDT. And as he set up for the honor roll, almost uh, pulled Styles away and then nailed Woods. So we got the DQ in 757. Omos used a military press on Kofi Kingston. Uh, they shot this at a great angle. So when he, <laughs> Kingston was sent over the barricade to the floor, you thought this man had been like set off of a skyscraper and plunged to his death. Uh, and then there was a two-on-one attack on Woods. And that's how this ended. Omos got physical, delivering a tree slam onto Woods and then stood on Xavier as AJ counted three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all being put on Omos. Lame ending to the match, but I thought good spotlight on the attraction here. We go to Alexa's playground. She's got her jack-in-a-box, but notes this is not a regular jack-in-a-box. Randy was wrong about the Fiend being gone forever. He was merely weakened and trapped inside the jack-in-a-box. Yes. It was a Fiend in a box. And he just needed time. But now he is salivating... At facing Randy Orton. And Randy's biggest mistake is thinking he knows what's next. At WrestleMania, the legend killer dies. And she and then we pan over, and on the accompanying swing is the fiend that was completely immobile. He's not much of a swinger, he's more of a sitting guy, sit on the swing type of guy. Yeah, he's one of those guys. Okay. Um, so we're promising death in this uh, this showdown. Those are stakes. Someone should die, yeah. 
Drew is hanging out backstage. He goes into the men's locker room and proclaims to everyone who's going to step up. I'm disappointed because a young me would have jumped at this chance. Calls out some dude in the corner. I don't know if it was uh, uh, Grand Metalik or somebody. But he just shouts at him if he's on his phone and is going to try and make something trend. There's Braun sitting in the middle. He goes up to Braun and says, you should be a five-time champion. Which is a bizarre thing that you should aspire to. Like, I can understand you want to be champion. But, man, my goal is to be a six-time, five-time, 85-time champion. Like, that's not something you actively work towards. You work towards getting the title with the belief that once you hold on to that title, no one will be able to beat you for it. But that is what is celebrated. You know, Flair is the greatest of all time in many people's eyes, and they often cite his number of record, uh, his title, um, I guess, um, reigns, you know, for a reason for that. Well... He informs Braun, you are not a five-time champion. Step the hell up. Braun says he is going to rip Shane to pieces. And if you win the title, I'll be the first to come find you. Then he goes and grabs Umberto Carrillo and just tosses this poor guy to the floor. He goes up to Riddle, who explains, I'm stuffed. Cool. And then Gulak gets laid out with a Glasgow kiss. And finally, Ricochet stands up to him. They've known each other a long time. I'll give you a fight tonight. And Drew respects that. Mm-hmm. I will say this. You can write off a lot of people in this locker room. Um, that's, that's a kind of sad statement on some of the talent that the WWE has. But I would not say that their ability... If they had this incredible roster of babyfaces, uh, I would look at this segment as a, a bit odd but you're doubling down on Drew McIntyre going into Mania. That is not the case in in WWE. And I thought these, there were many ways that you could have made Drew look like exactly what they wanted to portray and not made all these guys look like such fools. He could have been fighting off challenges left and right all all night long. I just thought this segment was just, I don't know. It was just to me, um, yeah, just shining a light on where, like, why do you have these guys on your roster? Like, that is kind of the end point here. There are a lot of these guys in this room. I mean, this really was just the 24-7 or cruiserweight division, right? So I don't think anybody really loses anything. Like, Braun, they did have a sort of a centered, um, a focused kind of conversation between he and Drew, putting them somewhat, at least more, separating Braun at least from the rest of the pack. And even Ricochet here. That's what I was really afraid of that Drew was going to stare down Ricochet and treat him the same way he treated Angel Garza here. Uh, and that wasn't the case. They had Ricochet actually sound somewhat heroic, standing up to Drew, using some logic, saying that he's not believing in Lashley, so therefore he's not going after this thing. But he does want to challenge Drew McIntyre. So I thought Ricochet actually managed to stand out. But the rest are really expendable. You know, these are all your supporting characters, and especially during Mania season. They should all be... I mean, maybe they shouldn't. You don't have to, but maybe, you know, feeding them to the main eventer, I don't think is the worst thing. Um, It's the Braun one was just strange. Like what's your logic of just including him in this? The segment was Drew was no better off just because Braun was there. Um, 
I don't, I don't know. I'm just, it, it's not yeah. like th- this in a vacuum is like, uh, it, it, to me, it just, it represented a larger pattern we see with just baby faces and, and it goes across that. Um, I don't know. I could have done without at the very least brawn here, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's a lot of guys that, I mean, the die has been cast for all of these guys, regardless of their skill sets. Shayna was out with Nia Jax and Reginald to take on Naomi. We've got Dana Brooke and Mandy Rose on commentary, and they want a title shot at WrestleMania. Baszler stomps Naomi's elbow, and Tom Phillips brings up that uh, she did that to you, Mandy, and you missed the Survivor Series over that. She's like, she acknowledges this. Uh, Naomi was fine from this. Everybody is typically fine from the spot. Uh, there's a bridge for a cover, and then Baszler is going for a knee bar. Naomi gets out, leg drop into the splits, and then Reginald distracts. Lana gets up and goes after Reginald, so Nia lifts up Lana, but then Lana gets off the shoulders, shoves Jax into Rose and Brooke. Baszler's focused on them, and then gets rolled up by Naomi in 223, and I guess we're getting... I think we're going to get probably a four-way for the men's tag titles on SmackDown, and we're going to get... Probably a four-way for the women's. Maybe more if you include the Riot Squad in there too. Sure, why not? Everybody gets a title shot. Like, yeah, it's it's it. This is no better than the Andre Battle Royal. It's just another excuse to cram everybody onto the show. There is no concerted effort on any sort of storytelling heading into any of these tag team title matches. You're just putting matches on and getting everybody wins. 50-50 booking everybody just so that they have an excuse to get into the match. Getting everyone wins and also getting everyone losses. It's just... And doing it in like three minutes. The person with the most story in this entire division is Reginald. And what role he plays in any of this, I don't know. Uh, I, th- I think you've done a terrible job of trying to build Lana and Naomi. You've really given up. You've given up on Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. Pretty much given up on, what is it, the Riot Squad? Are they even no, a they, they're, they're completely out of the picture. Like, they're like, not even focused on it. They're not even part of this story yet. Fuck, why did you break up the Iconics? I still don't understand. So, I, I think this sucks. Like, I want all these people to get paydays, but I don't want to see wrestling that has zero effort put into storytelling um you know i hope they all kill it in ring like that would be the only saving grace of this thing but like the story has just been these tag team titles have been terrible yeah it's just um yeah this this just felt like totally just throw away and they weren't going to spend any time doing anything of note here it's just get all these bodies and they're all just mixed up with one another it's it's very uninspiring Oscar had a conversation with Riddle. It led to Riddle asking if people in Japan might like scooters. I'm done. I'm just, I'm not recapping these segments. So this was like, and I made reference to this earlier. I don't think you got it, but this was where Riddle like just straight up forgot his line and then walked away. And I don't know if this was supposed to be intentional. See, I couldn't tell if it was, if it was intentional or not because it's so in sync with this brain dead character that I I I didn't even know if it was on purpose or not. It could be one. It could have been one of those Batista fan like jumping in the frame type of intentional screw ups to get people talking, um, and that was the case. But whatever, it's like it works. It worked for the gimmick. He's it, it, it. More so, I think is just sad to hear that this character is being portrayed this way as an intentional fuck up. Contract signing with Oscar and Rhea Ripley. 
Asuka called her overconfident. Rhea Ripley says, yep, I'm going to beat you at WrestleMania. They both signed the contract. Asuka yelled. And then Ripley flipped the table and knocked Asuka in her head. <laughs> Asuka. <laughs> so Jackson Baszler come back out. And Ripley is standing next to Asuka's dead body. And Asuka... <laughs> Asuka has to play dead for an uncomfortably long time before she finally can, like, look up and hold her head. But, dude, you had, like, a corpse in the ring as Nia and Ripley are going back and forth for minutes. And it ends with Nia, the champions, issuing a challenge to defend their titles against Asuka and Ripley next week. Ripley accepts. This segment was... Terrible as well. Like, literally all they had was, we're going to sign paper, and you're going to talk, and then we'll do a table so, spot. Like, dude, this, this is like, is, we have no more ideas left. Oh, this is what I mean when, hey, we've got 10 hours to write for the next week. More than 10 hours. We probably have to finalize WrestleMania, and we probably don't have that approved yet. We've got to do Hall of Fame and all this other shit. Let's just do what we always do. Have the people going up against each other for the singles belt. Put them in a tag team match against the tag team champions because it worked on the other show. We're trying to fill hours of content right now. It This was so lazy. I thought my energy was done for the tag team di- women's tag team division on this show. And then I saw Nia and Shayna come out and I'm like, oh, fuck. They're going <laughs> to do this too? And it's just like another fucking lazy build for a meaningless tag team title match that kills the heat. Whatever heat they could, they were trying to build here between Ripley and Asuka. And poor Asuka. Like, she... Man. They're turning her into a caricature way, where it's just... I thought her promos were... I know her promos are really bad anyway. Like, it's just sort of like the way they get around her speaking. Because she can't really cut promos. She's just, they just tell her to, like, say some of these, like, ridiculous lines. I thought it was so cringeworthy bad. And then it was like, she gets attacked, <laughs> somehow earns a tag title shot as she's knocked out... <laughs> And her opponent that's supposed to hate her and just attacked her says, yes, I'm going to like, I'm going to agree with to this title opportunity on your behalf where we're going to team them up again uh, together next week. We just saw with we just saw the damage it did to to Sasha and and Bianca Belair. They're going to, for some reason, do the same thing again for these two just because they need a, a TV time to fill. It is just so creatively lazy, so damaging to whatever type of singles feud they're trying to build. And it's just bad TV. Yeah, I, I thought this was a pretty bad segment. And it was not going great before Nia and Baszler came out. I thought the contract signing, it just lacked any... Like, these segments should be designed to amplify interest and build heat for the match. And this was the opposite. Ricochet is a... Pr- Ricochet was approached by MVP backstage. And midway through this promo, I'm like, what? This guy, why is he not on commentary? How did he get to the back? He walks back and forth. It's oh. probably not that far. Maybe he had to go to the bathroom. No, I've often thought about that. It's a three-hour show. That's a long walk. He's got the cane. Well, um, I hope he walks. I hope it was a close bathroom. Ricochet told MVP, I know I can beat Drew McIntyre. Uh, there was something we said recently about babyfaces promising something and then failing. And that's not a good combination. The great Kali and RVD are going into the Hall of Fame, they note. And then Drew McIntyre took on Ricochet. Ricochet's big moment. Lashley is watching in the back. Um, 
Listen, Ricochet did what he could in three minutes uh, to remind everyone that this guy, this guy's great, but he's not going to be great in this company. He leaped off the steps onto the barricade and then came off with a drop kick. Uh, there was this gigantic back body drop where he nearly hit the ceiling. Uh, I'm being facetious. Uh, Ricochet then went to the top, misses with the 630, killed at the Claymore. Two minutes and 53 seconds. Drew wins. Ricochet could not, in fact, beat Drew McIntyre, despite his instincts. Just a very quick sprint here. I mean, Ricochet was given a bit of a glimmer of hope here against Drew, but, um, you know, ultimately he was just another body to sacrifice for Drew. One of two here. Drew. This is building up the main event. Like, there should be no one in Drew and Bobby's path. That Like, they should be running through everyone, and that's the role of these guys. Like, Ricochet is not... You can debate Ricochet in the grand scheme of things. For the Mania build, this is his role. Drew didn't even break a sweat here. No, no. Well, he had uh, he had more to accomplish here. Because Mustafa Ali returned, attacked Drew, and we get an impromptu match between these two. Um, Ali's no working on... Uh, what about Retribution? No Retribution. No, yeah. They were not here, so... Um, his colors are, are, I guess, not even Retribution colors anymore. Yeah, he's... Uh, he's got color. He's rebranding. Um, so Ali attacks the left knee of Drew. He's working it over, uh, and McIntyre's limping. At one point, Ali hit a splash onto the leg from the top, but then Drew fired back with belly-to-bellies. Ali comes off the turnbuckle and is hit with a Glasgow kiss in midair, and the Claymore finishes the match in 3 minutes, 44 seconds. Oh, this was also 3 minutes? Uh, who cares? Whatever. Um, fine match. Great match. They're great wrestlers. Um, deserves no more thought. Let's let's close this. Drew asks, is there anyone else? And every babyface said, no, we're dead. He calls out Lashley. He comes out. Drew says, no matter what, you cannot prevent our match from happening at WrestleMania. Lashley said, I never needed anyone's help. I almost ended your career at Elimination Chamber. Drew knows how bad Lashley is. No one likes Lashley in WWE. Uh, sorry, he said there's no one like Lashley in WWE, and you would be the man in this company if I didn't exist. But Lashley is afraid of Drew McIntyre. So they got into a fight. There's a Glasgow kiss, and Lashley goes to the floor when all of a sudden, the person coming for the big bounty, King Corbin, who attacks Drew, and <laughs> Drew fights him off. Goes for the Claymore, but it's hit with a deep six. And then Lashley applies the Hurt Lock. And there's like four minutes left in the show. Corbin starts screaming at Lashley, do it again. Which is not the power dynamic that is how this should work. Where the henchman Corbin is shouting demands to the world champion of what he should be doing. But Lashley applies the Hurt Lock. We now have three minutes left in the show. Bobby poses with the title. He stares into the hard camera. We've got one minute left. He applies the hurt lock a third time. Dude, I don't know if this was just a poorly timed closing beatdown, but this went on for goddamn ever. And just this show screeched to its conclusion. And your hint is that we'll get Drew and King Corbin on Raw next week. Or maybe SmackDown, for all I know. Whatever. Um, there you go. That was the show. Oh, I thought it was a pretty bad show. Um, 
I, I really do feel like the the weight of having to put so many shows together in such a small amount of time was seen on this one because it was just such a by the numbers show. Um, I felt like they had something with the idea of like, you know, all the roster members coming after Drew McIntyre, but I didn't feel like that resulted in anything. You know, it resulted in a couple of squashes, one against Ricochet, one against um, Ali. And beyond that, I just felt the rest of the show pretty bad overall. And I, I, it was even, even reliving through, reliving it through your excellent recap, John, I found very difficult. So I apologize. It was like, it just, it just makes me want to like, puke in my brain you know like i want my brain to vomit just so i could feel like better inside i think we're um, feeling the effects of having a two-night wrestlemania where a lot of programs have not been built up for a long time so we're just throwing stuff together and it's just it's like creatively like you, there's just no more ideas it's like okay um you point to this person and you uh, show up and challenge this person. And once we've set up the card, then it's like, well, we still got two weeks to go and we're just getting whatever we can. That is not the most of creative ideas. And I mean, at times it's like, okay, you're going to coast on your big matches, but I would say that um, your universal title match, I think is in pretty good shape on SmackDown. I would say Lashley and Drew, we're getting at a point where I'm, I'm losing my interest in this match. And we were starting at a much higher part of, uh, of this program. And I think we're, we're, we're slowly just descending uh, fan interest because we're just getting all this interaction and it's not very creatively stimulating when we're seeing them together. Yeah. There's just, I'm just going back to this show and, um, Oscar Ripley hotter mm. this week for uh, that was made last oh, week. We're at week two. And that segment did, uh, a lot. That did a number to me on that match. I think um, I'm actually intrigued by what they're doing with Almost. I think they're treating him like the only serious person amongst that, the, those four, and therefore I have some interest in seeing what he's up to. Uh, Bad Bunny and The Miz, I think that's fine. You know, it's exactly what you want out of a celebrity appearance. Um, Braun Strowman and Shane is was pretty bad this week, I thought, with the Photoshop shit. Um, what else we got? Riddle is, I think, among the worst things on the show every single week. Um, he's got a thing with Sheamus that I'm sure the match will be fine, but man, I just don't want any more of this character stuff on TV. And what else do we have on the show? The women's tag. I've said all I have to say about that. That was it. Like that, it was stretched out to three hours. Yeah. I think next week... You know, it's unfortunate because last year, that go-home show for Mania was one of my more enjoyable Raws of the year. It was the whole empty PC, and we got all those great promos, uh, like monologues from different characters explaining their motivations, and I thought it was a really great setup. Like, that's what you want a go-home show to be. It's like all the angles are done, and we just get some, like, some really strong promos, and it was a very clear indication that it was very obvious that many performers were left to their own devices and it was very strong stuff. I don't think in this environment, we're going to get that kind of show next week, but it would be one where um, certainly wouldn't hurt. It's not like we're, we're just trying to find ways that we can, like we're not full of stuff in these three hours that 
send Drew out to talk for five minutes about what this match means to him, what the last year has meant performing with no fans. And finally, I get to step in front of everybody at Raymond James Stadium and go for this title. What this last year has has meant for everybody in this in this locker room. Be the representative, the top babyface. I think there's a lot of different angles you could go with and get some great promos next week. You're talking about some very different shows here. You know, like I, that that's something we, the story we we can expect on NXT, a story we can expect on AEW, but that's just not the type of story that they'd like to tell in WWE main roster. Uh, instead, you know, like, what's it going to be like when they challenge for the tag team championships next week? Do you think they should have uh, Drew and Lashley challenge for the tag team titles? Maybe the New Day needs a tune-up. Yeah. Could yeah. be. Let's go to the forum for feedback. Well, tonight's show got a 3.67 out of 10. So I think most people in agreement. Noah writes, Raw was not good tonight. Whose bright idea was it to have Shane read Braun Strowman's fifth grade report card and then 20 minutes later have the New Day's game night? Between this show and the Raptors dropping another game to go 1-13 and in the month of March, it was a tough night of TV. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. That's a rough month for the Raptors. We've got a Nick from Boston who says, I normally attempt to look for the positives, especially ahead of WrestleMania, but breaking up the Hurt Business soured me on this entire episode. I know the writing had been on the wall for weeks, but to toss aside almost a year's worth of buildup for a wall-like faction in about an hour and a half was genuinely head-scratching. Surely the stronger creative direction would have been had Drew fighting from underneath against the United Front, but WWE knows no alternative way to manufacture conflict other than prematurely splitting teams up or inserting unnecessary third or fourth parties. See Sasha, Bianca, and Reginald. On a more personal note, seeing a no-nonsense and dominant faction made up of, uh, entirely of people of color was incredibly meaningful. I'm happy they had the opportunity to hold all the belts, but it truly sucks that they're splitting up with what I imagine is zero creative direction for Shelton and Cedric. We're all will be worse off without them. The rest of the show wasn't all that engaging, and there's no match on this Mania card, aside from Reigns, Edge, and Bryan, that has had a compelling build. I love WrestleMania season, but my excitement for this event is currently on the floor. I enjoyed the end with an intense Drew clearing house, but that's the guy who that's the guy who got over last year. Seeing Ricochet in wrestling gear and not a fedora was cool too. Sorry to be so negative this week, hoping for the best on SmackDown. Well, it's hard to be I, positive I, about a show where there weren't many positives to draw from. I do feel the SmackDown programs are generally, generally in better shape, especially the Universal title match. Generally, yes. And we'll finish off with Alexander from Portland. I wish I understood WWE's fascination with groups or tag teams not getting along. The Hurt Business looked to be getting it right, but they broke up tonight. Rhea clocked Asuka, and they're facing the women's tag champions next week. AJ and Omos weren't on the same page, but I don't get how anyone was supposed to get over in that skit. Even if they played Pictionary, that segment was not a draw. Very nice, Alexander. <laughs> what I don't understand is why Lashley shed himself of the Hurt Business throughout the show, only to seemingly align with Baron Corbin at the end. I don't feel this builds any more momentum for Lashley heading into his big title defense, and it certainly won't be a launching pad for Cedric Alexander or Shelton Benjamin. On a positive note, MVP was incredible the entire night on commentary. If the Hurt Business needs to end, then I need MVP added to the commentary booth. Hey, hey, hop, hop. Raw tonight was a flop. Three out of ten. Oh my, wow. Look at Alexander bringing the goods tonight. Um, you know, listen, I... These shows are often... Man, they just, like, give, leave me in a weird mood. Because I just don't feel very uh, good about it. 
Do you want to take some calls tonight, John? Uh, we can take some, sure. If anybody has anything to say, you know, share your thoughts on the show or just really like how about an impromptu, uh, uh, you know, uh, question or or feedback sec- section here now that we have a bit more time. Let's go to Hanzi. Hanzi in the Zoom room. What's going on? Oh, what's going on, guys? First of all, good show. Um, yeah, I, I listen, I'm in agreement with you. I thought the show was kind of atrocious. Like, I don't know, man, when, when you have build. For like, like you know, a, like like I don't want to compare AEW and WWE, right? But I'm just saying, like they have like this whole tag division, right? Like it's so great. And then also, in like the tag teams in WWE, like they're building up by doing a newlywed game kind of stuff. I mean, it's entertaining because AJ is pretty entertaining. New Day are entertaining, but I don't know. I'm just not really feeling. I and I, yeah, I think I've lost more interest for this main event with Drew and Bobby Lashley. And uh, I did like Drew kind of punking everybody a little bit. I thought it was I was kind of different you know what i mean it, it, it kind of reminds you why why uh drew mcintyre was kind of over like i like at least before he punked them at least he was trying to like encourage them to step up to it like it, it wasn't like a complete burial like a stone cold like wait a minute like, they didn't they did half the locker room wasn't standing up to him they just said nah, no that's that's a tall task drew i don't i don't think we're gonna take our our that offer up no, no, that's true. That's true. But at least Drew was encouraging them to stand up. So I, you know what I mean? Like, I, like, if he came into the locker room and he encouraged me to do it, at least I would at least say something to the guy. I wouldn't like, I don't know why Braun and them kind of backed away. But If uh, Umberto Carrillo comes out the night after WrestleMania and he's got a new edge to him and he takes out Drew McIntyre, I will say, you know what? That locker room segment, that was the start of something big. <laughs> Umberto Carrillo is ready now for his close-up. And before I go, I just want to say, I don't know when Asuka's, I don't know when her contract's up, but like, I don't know, I think, she, me personally, I think she's accomplished everything in WWE, and I I really hope that she's someone that, like, I know everyone always says, oh, I hope they go to AEW, but that's actually one person that I think would really help the AEW women's division. I just think she's accomplished everything, like, accolades-wise, and I just don't think they really value her in, like, like a lot of her feuds, she always just kind of gets screwed over. She's like the afterthought, but they still give her accolades still. But that, you know, it just, as a fan of Asuka, I just wish they protected her more because, like, over the last year, she's proven to be like a highlight over during this pandemic there. Like, she was one of the MVPs. If, like, you go, like, going, well, who stood out more? Like, you know, what I mean, people like Seth and Asuka and them kind of stood out during the pandemic era, in my personal opinion. So I just wish you, you know, I wish, you know, I get the return of Kana and, uh, Anyway, listen, guys, it was a good surprise. It was a good surprise you guys had calls in this time. So I, I'm appreciative of that. So um, uh, thank you for taking my call. Thank you, Hansi. Thanks, Hansi, as always. All right. Uh, I think that wraps it up for today, John. All right. Well, guys, uh, thank you. Uh, I made it through. We are at the end of the show. But lots to come this week. Tuesday, we've got Rewind Away, number 83. Way and I are going to be chatting about the career, the life of Brian Pillman, Uh, looking at the Loose Cannon DVD that the WWE put out in 2006. Uh, So that will be dropping Tuesday night for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. And then we're back live on Wednesday night, 10.15 Eastern for Rewind Dynamite. So you will want to catch all of that. And it all leads into post-podcast day this Saturday at noon Eastern for all cafe members. So, Mr. Ting, the final word goes to you. Vaccinate. I won't argue. Good night.